Hi, foam fans. How are you? Edith here, slightly croaky. Just come back from taking part in a pub quiz. We came third. We were under the name of Quizzy Rascal. Uh, old school, I know. Um, anyway, thank you so much for choosing to listen to another episode of my weekly podcast where I get to talk about the world of film and music and how those wonderful and beautiful worlds collide and create something absolutely spectacular. Um, really appreciate you guys uh, reacting in the way that you have to the Ryan Coogler episode that we uh, gave you guys on Friday. A uh, bit of a bonus episode and I think we're going to do a little bit of that between now and the end of the year of Double Up episodes just because we're in the most beautiful situation where we've been offered an abundance of guests and we want to share those conversations with you. So lots of great and exciting stuff coming up. Um, Tim Burton, um, Sebastian Lelio talking about The Wonder, Luca Guadagnino talking about Bones and All, amongst many, many others. Michael Giacchino talking about Werewolf by Night, Batman, lots of great things. Um, so lots of wonderful guests on the way. And this week is... One of those episodes of Soundtracking, which I love so much, where I get to pick the brains about an up-and-coming filmmaker who's just beginning their beautiful journey in the industry. Charlotte Wells's debut feature, After Sun, is an absolutely beautiful piece of work, telling the story of Sophie as she reflects upon a holiday with her then-young father they took 20 years earlier as well as containing countless fantastic needle drops after sun is also expertly scored by oliver coates who very kindly furnished us with cues from his unreleased score the film is out in cinemas on friday i know there are some previews around the uk but if you are listening to this the film is released on the 18th of november and i highly recommend that you go and check it out and we're going to begin with one of Oliver's cues. This is One Without the Main Theme. doing Charlotte? Great it's really exciting to chat to you. Thanks oh for wanting to do this. My absolute pleasure I'm just sorry I can't be there in person to talk to you about it but thank you for doing it on the on the weird world of remoteness. I'll make congratulations on After Sun. Thank you. What a beautiful and brilliant and tender and powerful film. It's absolutely extraordinary. Thank you. Has it been a long time coming? Has it been a project you've been working on for 
exactly that yeah it's been about seven years since I started it I think wow yeah it's a long time I I I think it like the idea first occurred to me in maybe like 2015 I took myself on a holiday to Cyprus uh like on a package holiday and I started writing it um after I finished uh film school I had a classmate who lived in Cyprus so kind of like doubled up visiting and um going to this hotel yeah uh so it's been a long time um it's definitely it was a journey to write and obviously to make quite special to be at this point I bet what was the where's the what's the kind of catalyst or the seed of the the kind of the inspiration for the story really a few different things uh I think it it was a few strands coming together at one point in time um I was getting toward the end of film school where they encourage you to think about what a feature film might be Mm. and I'd made this short film called Tuesday uh, about a teenage girl kind of getting on with a Tuesday on which she normally goes to stay with her dad Mm. and you get the sense over the course of the film that he is no longer there but she is carrying on as though he were and um I think in many ways, this film was a continuation of that Yeah, uh, in a way that I hadn't really recognized until quite recently, because I can think of a very concrete start point for all of the projects that I've done apart from this one. And I think it's because it was in many ways a continuation of something else, something that I had a bit more to say about than maybe I'd expressed in one short film. Yeah. And then there was this, uh, like during that time, I started to flip through old holiday albums mm-hmm. But my dad was young when I was born and we'd go on holiday together and he was mistaken for my brother all the time and he didn't bother correcting people. <laughs> um, and he just looked so young in these pictures, you know, and there's this one from Spain. You see these like gorgeous orange trees in the background. It was, it was one of those like day trips. And I'm sitting by a pool with just a pair of pants on. <laughs> and there's this gorgeous woman right behind me. And I remember looking at it thinking, like, who's he taking a picture of? <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure it was me but like those are the kind of things you allow to yeah to be catalysts for for ideas and you think themselves don't they yeah and it's 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 like a a funny story but it it was kind of the inspiration for something that at first was a bit more fictional like a father and a daughter on holiday how does he balance being a young man with being a young parent what does he do at night when when she's asleep uh but I think over the course of writing it, it became more than that it yeah, became a bit more, a bit more personal in a certain way. There's so many beautiful textures to the film and in, in the way that you tell this story. You've got the, the different time frames, obviously, this sort of time locations. I don't know what how to refer to it, but you know the kind of yeah, like timelines almost. Yeah, timelines. That's the word I was looking for. But <laughs> it, but the things like the home video stuff that you see them, you see it, but then you also see them shooting it as well, which yeah. is such a clever way of keeping us as in the audience in the story and with them and feeling those feels you know of kind of of how they are and you know when she does the um she kind of interviews them and stuff and she's like you know and, and all those great questions that an 11 year old would ask you know when you were 11 what did you think you'd be doing now kind of thing you know all that kind of stuff it's like yeah there's just yeah it's so it feels so natural and Frankie I mean where the hell did you find Frankie because oh my god talk about Talk about talent and yeah, she's just. I mean, Paul's brilliant. I'm not taking anything away from Paul and how good he is, but Paul's brilliant. But that's less of a surprise. Yeah, I think we know <laughs> yeah, we that. We kind of know that. Yeah, but this little firecracker, she is extraordinary. Yeah, 
she is. Um, it was a process. I worked with this casting director, Lucy Party, who is known for making discoveries, working with young talent. And um, yeah, we just cast the net far and wide. And it was during like the height of the second wave of COVID. And it was hard to gain access to spaces that would otherwise be mm. easy, you know, at sports clubs, boxing mm. clubs, football clubs, schools. And instead we're leveraging the immense power of mum's whatsapp groups you know oh my god and facebook groups <laughs> and just spreading the word we had like a flyer and we, we put it out and we had submissions from almost 800 kids in the end and we would set them exercises to do like do a physical activity and run around in in the garden or climb a tree tell us a story but in a whisper you know all of these things and until the point where we brought 16 kids in in person in glasgow in february of last year and um, Frankie just blew us away. Mm. She was the biggest surprise of, of those sessions uh, of that first day. I remember Lucy saying that to me. Like Frankie was the biggest surprise, just came in and had this ability to act that I think is really rare in young performers. Mm. I think I was expecting a kid to just be themselves, somebody who could be comfortable in front of a camera, be themselves sufficiently that I could create an environment to capture it i had this teacher who once described filmmaking as setting traps like you lay the traps you best you the best you can and and you you see what you can capture and i think that's still true uh-huh. but in frankie she has more control i think she's she really is able to perform in fact she got so savvy at performing there was this one moment <laughs> on the rooftop scene mm-hmm. where um callum's joking about fancying her teacher I was behind a flag looking at the monitor because the the sun was quite low and I couldn't really see, but it meant I didn't have the actors in my direct line of vision. I could just see what was on the screen, which was fairly rare. What normally I could see both. And Paul came to me after a take and he's like, she knows the camera's not on her now. So she's just like chilling out on the couch, looking the other way. He's like, you have to tell her that she has to actually perform in the scene properly, even if the camera's not on her. And I'm like, Frankie, <laughs> what are you doing? She's just really smart and so savvy um, and really, really quite brilliant. And, mm. uh, and that was clear on set. But there was that wasn't something we discovered in the edit. Obviously, in the edit, you're kind of writing again in some sense and you're yeah. finding what's there. But it was it was clear on set that it was really special what she was doing. Obviously, there's a script, but when you when you watch the when you watch the film, it I mean it, it feels so natural, it feels so organic, it feels so real. The conversations that they have, and and even just the physical reactions to things when there's no dialogue as well, it just feels such a natural response to the situation that they're in. How much did you sit, stick to script and considering that? I mean, I don't know if she's done anything before, but but kind no. of nothing. Oh my god! But how much? How much kind of freedom and do you encourage play for them on on set? Yeah, I, like it is quite closely um, to script. But that being said, there was also room for a play, and that came in different forms. Sometimes it came in allowing a scene to run longer than it was scripted for. Yeah. So there's a scene where Polaroid slowly develops in frame and I allowed one of their conversations from a scene that we let run to play, play under that, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was just them. Um, There were other points where maybe Frankie wasn't quite feeling or fully grasping the dialogue. And so we would make sure she was really clear about where it landed Mm -hmm. and she could find her own way there. 
And then there were other things that during the rehearsal periods, she said that I wrote into the script or, or, or Paul said it was a case of kind of making sure that the script met their natural um, speech patterns and mm-hmm. so that it did sound as natural as possible. Yeah. You know, I think that's where you have to work to meet actors to, to get that. Um, and and there, are, there are a few lines in the film that Frankie said during those rehearsals that I, I did. Yeah, I wrote into the script because they were they were fantastic. Um, <laughs> I really wanted the dialogue, her dialogue to feel very authentic to a 10, 11 year old kid. You know, I never wanted I never wanted that character to feel like an adult in a child's body, which mm. I think can sometimes happen. You have yeah, these like, overly yeah. precocious children on screen and I did want her very much to feel like a kid yeah the music in the film both in terms of Oliver Coates that you work with on on score but then also the needle drops are brilliant and I I, I don't know if this was deliberate and stuff and it's quite hard sometimes when you you know trying watching the film and trying to make notes and I can never read my writing after I've made notes <laughs> watching it but it feels like so many of the needle drop songs the lyrical to- content has a kind of narrative purpose in terms of there's a lot that's being said in the song that either could reflect what's going on within yeah. the story narratively or as kind of almost internalization or a or a moment or a situation. Is that a fair point? Yeah, it is. And it's really challenging because I think when you have a film that's this quiet, yeah, you're gonna read into the lyrics mm-hmm. either way. And yeah. so choosing songs is really difficult because even I in the edit room. And Blair, the editor that I worked with, you do the same. You know, as soon as you put a song in, the lyrics are so prominent if there isn't dialogue happening at the same time. And so it was about choosing things that either lent into that, played against it, Mm. making sure that when the lyrics were very closely related to the the narrative at a given point, that it worked. Um, and there's an obvious example of that at the end of the film where it's quite literal, mm. um, quite literal in a film that otherwise avoids the literal um, in many ways. Uh, but I think at that point we felt like we we'd earned it or we tried to earn it. <laughs> yeah, um, we tried to earn it as we worked toward that moment in, in the in the film. Blur's Tender is one really stuck out. And also I think what's also really nice as well is the the needle drop choices almost kind of give it a sort of not sort of drop it in a in when it's when it's set sort of thing, but it gives it a kind of feel of an era almost in a way as well. Yeah, yeah. I think like the '90s period is infused throughout the film in many regards, from mm. costumes to design to the size of tiles on the wall. But I think music was the most immediate way to create that sense of period, and I didn't want to draw. The audience's attention to the period in a way that distracted from the film. Yeah, no, it doesn't. So it, it was also um, a case of trying to be subtle but confident with it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, to effectively communicate when it's taking place, and music was a huge part of that. And Tender was one of the few tracks that was written in the script that I very much hoped we'd be able to use. Yeah. Tender is the night, lying by your side. Tender is
What were the conversations with Oliver? Because he's he's really interesting, I think, in the, the kind of the experience that he's had working as part of the music department, be that as a musician or whatnot, and other films from yeah. Under the Skin to Phoebe, Phantom Thread and all that kind of stuff. Is, is cello his instrument? Yeah. I mean, I love that instrument. I kind of, I was lucky enough to chat to um, Hilda Goodnutier about her Joker score particularly, you know, and how yeah. she kind of, you know, and the, and the fact that she kind of, she feels it, you know, it's like she's almost hugging this instrument and she, yeah, the score is beautiful in this. It's so No, there was, there was gorgeous. a moment in, um, I spent a couple of days with Oliver in, in Glasgow where he lives and there was a moment that I was describing in the, the um, under pressure sequence of trying to meet, trying to find a way for the score to meet the vocal slide that Freddie Mercury does. Mm -hmm. And um, he walked to the back of the room, opened his cello case, sat down. And I was just sitting there trying to remain very cool (laughs) (laughs) and not thrilled. And I was talking very abstractly, like, ah, maybe we could somehow like find a way to kind of allow, because there are moments in that sequence where, the soundtrack and the score meet each other mm-hmm. in moments where they depart. And it was finding the right points in time where they did that. And so I was talking about trying to reach this thing and he just pulled out the cello, he hit play and he literally met the note, you know, and then he pushed beyond it. And I just remember thinking that is so <laughs> perfect. And it's my favorite moment in the film. It's my favorite moment when I'm watching is, is that, cello is Oliver's cello takes over from Freddie Mercury's voice mm-hmm. and it's so special we we played with a lot of different temp music in the edit temp score I wasn't 100% that there would be score mm-hmm. the evening before we started shooting and a wow. couple of weeks in I knew there would be like I had a sense of where we were heading mm-hmm. had a sense of how it was looking and I began to understand that score could contribute a great deal but I had never used score before in my shorts so it's quite intimidating to to figure out. And I remember in the edit, we had the bus sequence when they moved from the airport to the hotel. And my editor put some music under it. And it was one of those like, oh, we made a film. <laughs> we made a film kind of moments. Oh, score can do that. <laughs> um, in a way, that's a bit dangerous because it's such like a shortcut to feeling sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I never wanted it to be that. I wanted it. To, to kind of work in parallel with with everything else in the film and always to emerge from nothing like I, I we worked quite hard that the score cues um rise and kind of sneak up on you where you're mm-hmm. not entirely certain when they began and uh we use lots of different types of temp score we tried everything under the sun until Blair pulled in the music of Eliane Radique who's a uh, early electronic music pioneer who worked with analog synthesizers. Yeah. And uh, when I first met Oliver, he knew every single Eliane Radic piece that we had used in the temp score. He's a huge fan, had oh, wow. programmed, had programmed um, a session in a church where people brought yoga mats and lay down and listened to, <laughs> to Eliane Radic. And it was just this amazing match. And it wasn't about emulating it like that. That was never what I was interested in doing, but, I think there was a mutual understanding of intention. Yeah. That that him knowing that music so well um, gave him.
Uh, it was a really fun process. He'd give mm. us different elements. He lettered them um, and we would combine them in the edit and then send them back. And it was always the best thing that could happen in a day when we woke up to music from Oliver. That's awesome. It's also, it's, it's almost those three things in terms of that side of it. It's the, it's the cues that the Oliver's written. It's the needle drops, but it's also the silence. It's also the moments where you've not got music and there's that amazing, the silence when he's dancing on the balcony. It kind of felt like I held my breath for that whole kind of moment sort of thing. You're kind of like, because you, I mean, the, the, the tension that you've managed to build throughout this film, it's kind of that weird thing where you kind of go, oh, yeah, it's it's almost it is like breathe, almost like intense breathing in a way in terms of how you, you know, the, your concern that you have for this relationship, for these characters, for the outcome, all that kind of thing as you're sort of putting the pieces together as we go through the story. It's so brilliant. At that moment, it was just kind of, it was breathtaking. Thank you. Yeah, that was actually quite a late addition in the edit, allowing that scene to play out in one. And it feels so essential to yeah. communicating the language of the film in a lot of ways. It's amazing to think it, it wasn't always there. Yeah, I became quite interested in allowing breaths, like the breathing of characters to almost perform a score at certain mm-hmm. points or allowing them to come to the forefront of the soundscape of the film. Um, and in that moment, her breath kind of hands off to his breath in the morning and, and playing, playing around with that idea. And yeah, it's, it's both very meditative and also builds a lot of tension, yeah. I think. And what I, I discovered when we first did a tech check for the film, that sequence played. And I remember thinking it's too quiet, forgetting that we'd allowed the breaths to crescendo over that scene. And it forces you to physically lean in in a cinema. Mm. And I really like that. Mm. You're kind of playing with people's, um, like almost with their bodies in a way. Like yeah. there's like a physical engagement that, I think it's quite interesting. Also made me think of that thing because, you know, I love when she's got the camcorder and she's, when she's be, like kids reporting on holiday. I think every kid's done it. Like my dad's got this amazing cine footage of me being a News at 10 reporter while my mum's on a parachute off the back of a boat in Spain or somewhere. It's hilarious. Yeah. And it, but it's that thing of almost like when kids have microphones as well, they just breathe, like, you know, they kind of, they, they just yeah. like that weird thing. It's that go-to thing that they do where they like, like feel like they've almost got to have the microphone in their mouth sort of thing yeah kind of heightened intensity of the sound yeah absolutely (laughs) I love that moment I also the the the, one of the cues that I wrote down here as well um the cue on the boat and the arms are touching yeah and it's the cello yeah and it's just got this beautiful it's it's that thing where I think that what's great about it is that that instrument in particular it's sort of it's an internal emotion almost in a way like, yeah, but it's the synergy of those two cards. It's almost the the emotion of the of that connection in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a piece that's almost drawn like. It's so funny. Sometimes I still see the film in terms of the edit timeline. <laughs> I, I can, can see I can, in your face. You're like, like looking at I know. I can see it. My my eyes like leave reality, and I still see the avid open in front of me. And and yeah, that that sound it starts over the image of of him in the bathroom and her in the chair reading the magazine or the book um, and it carries us through into the onto the boat and the water mm. in their hands and um, and you see them kind of out of focus with the background of the boat as the boat passes by.
Yeah. You feel the heat as well in the film. You almost kind of like that thing of like, you know, when you come within eyesight of a swimming pool and you can smell that chlorine and you can smell the heat of a place as well. I think yeah. the way that you've kind of the, the palette that you've chosen, the way you've chosen to shoot it, it's so sensual and that you kind of almost kind of feel that heat and smell that those kind of smells and the arcade sequence as well. I kind of, I love all that. It's there's yeah. the music, that, the way that you've used the music in that as well. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. There's the, like the Catatonia track. And that's one of my oh. favorite. Yeah. That's one of my favorite songs. So in the film. fun. And, it was also one of those very happy and beautiful accidents where at one point in the edit, also thinking about the timeline, like the song ran over. I think it's just because we were kind of refining where it started and I hit play and it ran over. And because that song is, is quite heavy and then it pulls back and it pulled back at exactly the moment that it cuts from the hectic arcade space onto this pan of the, the landscape of the mountains yeah. of the other buildings and that's also a place where the lyrics were so appropriate um so appropriate to the moment in a way that i never would have thought possible or intended hmm. that that's that's one of my favorite musical moments in the film it's letting carrie's matthew's voice just take over there yeah brilliant i mean it, you know when we talk to people about when they use needle drops as well the funny thing that they always talk about is like how expensive it, can, it always sort of thing in terms of getting and you've got some big hitters in there as well you know in terms of there are some big hitters in there and that is all to the credit of lucy bright our music supervisor i do not know how she did it <laughs> um and i was it was constantly constantly terrified i would i would get a call and it would take something i adored off the table it didn't really happen. There, there was a point at which there's a point in the film where the boredom um, of a holiday kind of sets in and they're both by the pool um, and they're not quite on the same page and are missing each other all of that day um, in terms of mood. And it cuts back and forward between them both listening to music. And in the temp soundtrack, it moved from Oasis to the Spice Girls. And that was the only moment Lucy was like, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> You know how we're not really hearing this music and it's playing through really tinny headphones and it's mostly just about the kind of vibes here. Do you need Oasis and the Spice Girls? And I was like, no, <laughs> it's okay. 
Um, the Spice Girls were such a huge part of my identity, <laughs> age 10, 11. But uh, I also think there are certain tracks that do draw too much attention to themselves, which is why yeah. I didn't fight for the Spice Girls in the film. Because I think, yeah, it's it's too, yeah, it draws too, too much obvious. attention yeah. away. Yeah. Um, but there's Aqua, you know. Yes, there and, is. And there's there's and all there's these other Deacon Blue though as well. Get so it. Deacon Blue. And it yes. felt important that Callum's soundtrack not yeah. be 90s, not be the late 90s, that it's skew more 80s because because he's older, you know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want the music to all be from like 1998 or seven or nine or wherever it sits around, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks for the Deacon Blue. Yeah. yeah. I tear out the pages that I got in these books to find just some words to get some reward and it show you all the photographs that I ever got took and I play old 45s that now mean nothing to me and you're The moment where with the the karaoke moment as well, my broken heart. Oh my god! That's Frankie, isn't she amazing in that scene? And she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it until she had to do it. I could not get her to sing that song. She hated that song. She hates that song so much. For two weeks, we would kind of wander over to that little amphitheater, the hotel. She just wouldn't do it. And then once she did a verse of it, or she performed it, but really goofing around. And I remember seeing that and thinking, I know she can do it. And I'm going to trust that she'll pull it out of the bag when it counts. And she did. And it's unbelievable. The journey that she takes the audience on mm. her performance it's it's really amazing yeah yeah man it's so good Jenkins is the producer on the film, is that right? Yeah, he is indeed. He is a gorgeous human being who I just, I mean, oh my God, I, his energy and enthusiasm for creativity, not just yeah. film, is just amazing. How did that come about, if you don't mind me asking? No, not at all. Um, so Barry works with Adela Romansky, who produced um, Moonlight, uh, with a few others. And uh, Adela was the first person I sent the script to. 
she discovered my shorts through friends sharing who shared who shared mm. and we met and we met for a breakfast and then a coffee and a brunch and I kept promising the scripts and she claims that I gave the impression the script was a bit further along than it was um, <laughs> or two years until she stopped calling and I was on their no fly list no more brunches for Charlie <laughs> until and then, she delivers this script and then I delivered the script and hoped they'd still be there and they were there um, and Adela was the first person on the project yeah and and Barry Yes, it was, but like Barry was making Bill Street Could Talk when I first met Adela. They were shooting in New York. Yeah. And then he became like more actively involved during post. He'd watch cuts and give notes and has really stepped forward at this point as, you know, to, to help introduce mm. the film to the world. And he does have such like enthusiasm. Um, like he is the best hype man that anyone could ever hope for <laughs> when he introduces the film. It's just he has such a gift for so many things obviously mm. but speaking is is one of them that I deeply envy <laughs> how effortlessly he can stand up and, and and speak very thoughtfully um and passionately about something and I'm very very lucky to have him in my corner amazing that's lovely what a beautiful it's so nice to hear like and I also hope that that's you know when you talk about your music supervisor as well you kind of People read the script or they they get to see, a, you know, a cut or an edit of it and they go, this is a great film. I want to be part of it. You know, that kind of idea of being really supportive to to brilliant, exciting new voices in film. It's like you really hope that people will be supportive, don't you? That's kind of that's the way it should be. Yeah, I mean, that's all you can that's all you can hope for. Like the script was written very visually in all the ways they tell you not to write a script. <laughs> and I was just really lucky to have people you know, starting with Adela, who really supported what I was trying to do. And it's not an individual endeavor making films. Yeah. And I think you can only hope to have collaborators on who care, who care about what they're doing, you mm -hmm. know, who care about the bigger picture and not just when lunch will be served. And I was very lucky to have many of those people on this, uh, both old friends like my editor and cinematographer and new collaborators, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but like Oliver and, and others. Yeah, that's what it's all about. With Paul, though, you know, in terms of, you know, I'm excited as well to to watch his journey as, and, and where he's going as, as an actor. And what was it about him? But also for him, what was it about this project, do you think? I mean, for him, I suppose that's a question for him, mm -hmm. but I've heard him articulate it a little. I mean, I think there, I think he just felt like a, he responded to the script in a way that few people did. And it was very um, sincere. And I felt that when I spoke to him, he was so passionate about it. He'd read it more than I had recently read it. I also found it very difficult to read the script from beginning to end. And he had a lot of empathy for the character, I think. Mm. I love the way that he spoke about the character. And I think he saw a challenge in it, you know, as something he hadn't, he hadn't done before. Yeah. And he's just so warm and thoughtful and he's a fantastic actor and he has the, these innate qualities that lend themselves so well to the character because the character's struggle had to be surprising. You know, if it was on the surface, there wouldn't have been any tension in the film. Yeah. You know, this needs to be somebody who's able to protect his daughter from his own struggles, struggles with mental health, you know, um, and successfully. He needs to, for the most part, successfully protect her from that. I think that takes somebody very special who can let so much simmer under the surface and 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 be in control of when it comes out. Yeah. 
so uh yeah paul was he was fantastic um and he was such an amazing partner i feel really lucky and excited and proud honestly to stand on the stage with him presenting this film the work that he put in with frankie and being all together is really special yeah thanks so much for your time charlotte and you've made something that's really really special thank Um, you and it's so exciting to know what's next as well so i'm i'm you know i'm I'm ready here, kind of excited to see what you do next. I think because Thank this you. is an extraordinary piece of work and I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, I, it's very surreal to think that I will be on uh, on this podcast, which I listen to. So, Oh, no way. <laughs> thank you. Oh, yeah, I no, thank you. I selfishly just do it because I love, I'm so nosy and I love hearing about people's process. And, and so I kind of forget that actually people might listen to it. So that's People might first. listen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they do. I'm pretty sure they do. And I love talking about process. That's my favorite part. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much and have a great day. And yeah, um, and yeah congratulations on the film Thanks. again. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. From the score to After Sun, that's memory opening, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the wonderful Charlotte Wells. My huge thanks to Charlotte for taking the time to talk to us. After Sun is available in cinemas as of the 18th of November. Please go and see it. You will be highly rewarded and also supporting new film, new British film and a brilliant and exciting new director. If you're new to soundtracking, head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes. And please do follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And if you want to get in touch, our email address is info at edithbowman.com. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube page um, because I'm about to upload quite a bit of stuff, to be honest. Ryan Coogler. I've also got an exclusive chat with Bruce Springsteen about his new album that's going to be up there. So there's an abundance of... Uh, existing stuff and a whole load of new stuff that is going to be up there next week very excited to be sharing with you my conversation that i had with the hugely talented alejandro gonzalez Iñarito. Uh, amongst other things he of course is the award-winning director of the revenant and his new film bardo for me is one of my films of the year it is like nothing else i've ever seen a film that affected me physically that is still kind of percolating in my brain Um, I love the performances of this. I love the colours in this film. I love the characters. I love the music in it. I loved everything about it. It's called Bardo and it's in cinemas on the 18th of November. It's coming to Netflix at the end of the year. But Bardo is the film. Alejandro Gonzalez Iñarito is the writer, director 
and he's going to be next week's guest on the podcast. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>